1: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, August second, twenty eleven. Oh, I feel so relevant today because we're doing a trilogy. This is the third part of our Eric Dijkstra Crossing Church trilogy editions of Fighting for the Faith. See, I'm relevant. I'm with the. I'm with the times, man. I'm cutting edge. Nobody can accuse me of like not having stuff that is like hip with the culture, man, because I'm doing a trilogy. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take these guys to task, uh, the the crazy folks being saying the crazy things, and well, um, compare it, and if it doesn't hold up, we say, yeah, that's not what God's word teaches. These folks are not telling you the truth. <sighs> so, uh, all right, so today, <laughs> apparently, I'm. I'm dogpiling. It's the trilogy thing. I'm dogpiling on uh, on Eric Dykstra. But, I, you know, here's the deal. I think that this is actually very important stuff that we're doing. I'm trying to create some resources that the folks out there living in Elk River, Minnesota can go to. Something A uh, series of podcasts that uh, the folks there can go and point their neighbors to and say, you need to listen to this guy. You need to listen to what he's saying because – it turns out that uh, you know, those reports that we've been getting out of Elk River that that behave that that church is behaving like a cult that something ain't right there, and uh, well, we've got a guy who well is theologically and biblically trained, and uh, he's a Christian apologist, and he and he's done the comparative work and says, yeah, Eric Dykstra isn't teaching the truth; he's teaching something completely different, and uh, so that that's going to be where we spent quite a bit of time today, although we're going to do a little bit of our normal fare. And uh, here's what I mean. Um, For sure, we're going to do a quick Patricia King (laughs) update because I just – well, it's not Patricia King. It's it's some of her peeps, uh, some of the folks from the Extreme Prophetic site. And uh, so we're going to be taking a look at two things, uh, two quick things from uh, the Extreme Prophetic site. Um, We're going to be, uh, let's see, I've got a quick video I want to play for you. It's called Refuting Evolution in Under Three Minutes. Absolutely worth your time there. Uh, Three minutes well spent, let's just put it that way, worth passing along. Um, I'm going to, uh, well, uh, I'm going to be reading um, a uh, Mike Ratcliffe um, blog post entitled He Must Increase, I Must Decrease. And then I'm going to... uh, uh, shift into um, our Eric Dykstra um, critique for the day, and it's going to take well uh, basically the bulk of the program. Um, I'm going to ask the question: Is the Bible is, is Bible study distracting you from Jesus? Is studying the Bible distracting you from Jesus? Well, apparently Eric Dykstra claims that that uh, well that's happening all over the church. There's a bunch of church people out there who are distracted away from Jesus because they're reading their Bibles. Uh, we'll be playing that for you today. Um, I'm going to be offering a counterpoint prior to our sermon review today. I'm going to be reading to you a section from the Augsburg Confession. The section is entitled The Power of Bishops, and this is foundationally important because uh, one of the problems that was coming out of medieval Catholicism that leading into uh, the Reformation that occurred in the uh, 16th century was the abuse of church power. Uh, so the question that's on the table is is that if we were to look at the Bible, what authority does the pastoral office have? What authority does the pastoral office have? Does a pastor have the right to wield the temporal civil authority sword and declare things over your life and say that you have to do this because I'm a man of God sort of thing? You know, so the question is what, you know, what authority does a pastor? Does a pastor have what does the what what is he supposed to be doing? What has God given him to do? And and you know that's and the authority comes from God. So we're going to take a look at that because uh, the Augsburg Confession answers this question quite straight up, and I think it does a great great job. And so the section of the Augsburg Confession we're going to be looking at is called the Power of Bishops, and that's going to uh, set our contrast today because we do compare and contrasting work as we head into hour number two for our sermon review. Uh, an Eric Dykstra sermon, the one I promised I'd get to uh, yesterday, entitled "Submission Mission Control." And yeah, uh, uh I tell you, there's uh, <laughs> Eric Dykstra is claiming some things for the pastoral office, some authority that isn't granted to him by the Bible in this sermon. So um, yeah, and, and again, the goal here is is that when this is all done, we'll have we'll have a series of programs that uh, I'll put together on a page. That People can go to where they can listen to the comparative work and do, and, and you know, of course, if they would like to challenge it, I mean, they can get their Bibles out and challenge this. I mean, you know, that's I think that's a great thing to do, uh, you know, but to do it biblically and uh, and pre- uh, present the resources there so that the folks in Elk River, Minnesota, have uh, basically. The biblical backing they need to warn their neighbors about uh, what's going on there at uh, Eric Dykstra's church, The Crossing, in Elk River, Minnesota. So, uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper, and uh, you know, again, lots of things to do today. Fuzzy bunny slippers, if the weather permits, in your in your neck of the woods. Um, not here in the Midwest, no. <laughs> Uh, I just checked the weather report. The heat and you know, the heat right now outside of the uh, P- Pirate Christian Radio studios, uh, with the humidity factored in, that would be the heat index. It is sitting at a comfortable one hundred and six. <laughs> So this is uh, fuzzy bunny slippers are contraindicated. If you have a heat index in your neck of the woods of 106, you don't want to do that. Of course, you want to enjoy an adult beverage. Don't have a problem with that. Keep in mind, the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness. You do not want to take a gift that God has given you and abuse it and become enslaved to it. That's, That's, well, silly. So with that, let's dive into the program proper So, um, yeah, uh, do, you, do you need to regain your focus? Well, this is good news, because I've got a resource here that'll help you regain your focus. Now, yeah, let's take a listen. Hi, I want to talk to you today about regaining your focus. Now, this is Bart Hathaway of the um, Extreme Prophetic Gang, um, part of the Patricia King... Cadre of uh, folks that try to put out ministry videos there at xpmedia.com. So, okay, regain your focus.
0: You know, so many are going through so many. Uh, are so much intensity and levels of warfare that uh, the enemy has really taken away your focus and, and stolen from you what it's all about. Paul said it this way. He said, we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes, but sometimes we get so caught up in the battles that we lose focus and we lose sight of what this is all really
1: about. I want to share a couple of... Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say? Um, uh, um, yeah, I- Sorry, I wasn't paying attention.
0: ...verses of scripture. It's found in Psalm 62, verses 3 and 4, and this is what it says. How long will you attack a man? That's the way so many of you feel right now. How long is the enemy going to attack me? How long is this battle going to go on?
1: I, I'm sorry, I, I, I wasn't paying attention. I get, how does that, that verse have anything to do with uh, focus and regaining it again? I I just wasn't paying attention. I must have not. Well,
0: how you? And then he says this: a declaration of faith. You'll be slain, every one of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. Now, watch this, verse four. They only consult to cast me down from my high position. Did you get that?
1: Uh, No, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I was busy. I'm trying to prepare another segment of the program today. Um, sorry. What, what did you say again? The reason the enemy is assaulting
0: you and attacking you so ferociously is because he recognizes and he understands the high call of God on your life. He understands the destiny, the purpose, and the plans that God has for you to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. And he's attacking you, getting you so caught up in the battle that many of you are just trying to survive.
1: Okay, okay. Oh Man, it's so hard. Um, I'm trying to regain my focus here. Um. It's, Bart, I, I'm confused. This you this was you said this was about regaining our focus, but you don't seem focused on regaining our focus, and so I'm having a hard time focusing here. Um, Just like you are, apparently.
0: Well, I want to tell you, he will not win. And once you refocus and get outside of the battle for just a little bit and see that this is really not just about you, but it's about stopping the purposes of God in your life, then you can rise up and say, wait a minute. I'm not taking this anymore. I make a declaration. My enemies have already been defeated through the power of the finished work of the cross. So I just want to speak into you right now.
1: A renewal. You want to do what? Uh, again, I'm, I'm just having the hardest time focusing on it. A
0: renewal of focus, a renewal of fight, of strength in your inner man. And I bless you with that in Jesus name.
1: Yeah, none of that made any sense. Maybe that's why I was having such a hard time focusing. Okay, moving along, another uh, video here from the uh, Extreme Prophetic Patricia King gang. And uh, this one has to do with, uh, well, um, the face of the lion, apparently. Here, Here, listen in.
3: Hi, I'm Pamela Carter, and welcome. We're going to be speaking and talking to you today about the face of the lion.
1: Oh, yeah. Wow, okay. Um. It's like Aslan from Narnia, okay.
3: are you ready?
1: yeah, I, i'm I'm sitting here. i'm I, I'm ready.
3: Are you ready? You know there are those very strange looking creatures in heaven uh, called the living creatures. Mm-hmm. and they have the face of an ox, the face of a lion, the face of an eagle, the yeah. face of a man. yeah, but it's t- <laughs>
1: That's how she said the face of a man. oh okay.
3: I'm. For that face to turn, and for the lion of the tribe of Judah now to be released.
1: Uh, What? What? (laughs) Hang on, I I must back this up a smidge here. Um, I have no idea what she's talking
3: about. And they have the face of an ox, the face of a lion, the face of an eagle, the face of a man. But it's time for that face to turn, and for the lion of the tribe of Judah now to be released.
1: Uh-huh. Um, where did you get this information about it's now time for the face to turn and for the lion of the tribe of Judah to be released? Uh, where did you get this information?
3: And he is going to be releasing the anointing to spoil.
1: Ah, okay. So um, if you would like spoiled food, uh, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is going to release the spoiling um anointing so that you can spoil things and that's not what she means let's continue
3: Hang on. going to be releasing the anointing to spoil right are you are you tired of the enemy constantly coming in plundering your goods plundering your household spoiling everything in your life
1: wow uh, you know if you got that kind of a problem um i mean where you know the, the enemy's coming in and plundering your goods in your household of all places You might want to get like an alarm system or, you know, or have a chat with your local police authorities. I mean, serious.
3: Well, God says it's time for the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is arising as a king. And we are called as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, to become kings and priests, not just priests. And a lot of us spend a lot of time. Why do I get the feeling
1: this woman has never been to Bible college? Like a real one. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, something tells me that
3: I'm in the prayer closet, but it's time now to put our boots on the ground and to ascend and descend and become just like Jesus.
1: Put my boots on the ground and ascend. So I need elevator boots. Okay. Well,
3: one of the attributes of Jesus is as a judge. He is a judge and a king. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is coming back as the judge of all the earth. and he
1: Well, this is true.
3: He is coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is going to take up his rightful place in the earth realm, and he is going to destroy kingdoms and kings.
1: Yeah, he is. I mean, this is talking about the last day. For sure, Jesus is going to do this, yes.
3: And rulers, everything that stands in the way of his beloved bride and the kingdom of his love. He is going to destroy our enemies. And right now, he is going to release that anointing upon you, that face of a lion, so that when it's... The,
1: the spoiling anointing, got it, yeah.
3: Time to stand up.
1: Yeah, okay, stand up, get your boots on the ground so that you can ascend and get the spoiling anointing.
3: And to judge situations and circumstances in a godly way.
1: You, you know, it just sounds like she, I mean, she's got so much authority when she raises her voice, but she's not saying anything
3: when it's time to pronounce and decree what he is saying and what he is doing, then get out of our way, as one of my very good friends says. Get out of my way because he is coming. The king is coming.
1: So get out of my way because the king is coming. Again, the sentence is utter nonsense.
3: And I had a vision several years ago.
1: I'm sure you did. Now, were you taking, you know, prescription meds at the time, um, illegal narcotics? Do you have a drinking problem? I mean, do you have a blood sugar issue? I mean, are you sure that this is really a vision from God, or could it have been caused by hallucinogenics, low blood sugar, you know, things like that? I'm sure you had a vision, but um, I'm just already, based upon what you've said in this video, which is complete and utter nonsense, I'm somehow doubting that... What we're we're gonna hear from you is actually a vision from well, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I just just not I'm just not buying it at this point.
3: I was on a 40 day fast, and I was, I think it was ah
1: yeah you were on a 40 day fast. That explains where the vision came from. You were having hallucinations.
3: 2002, and I was just praying, and all of a sudden I saw the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, and his he was walking very slowly toward me in this vision.
1: Are you sure it just wasn't your cat? Your your house cat? You had been fasting for 40 days. Um, you know, anything's possible here.
3: And I began to look and as he got closer I saw his eyes. Yeah. And he has the most fierce but kind eyes fierce I have ever kind. seen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yet his eyes were like fire. Yeah.
1: So fierce, kind and fiery eyes got And know.
3: as he began to walk slowly toward me, all of a sudden, he just leapt inside of me,
1: and it be- Yeah, again, I probably her house cat. That's what I'm. I'm gonna go with that one.
3: He began to speak
1: to- And she was having a hallucination because she hadn't eaten for forty days.
3: Me, and it began to roar inside of me, and it began to say, "For many years, you have pleased me by being a lamb."
1: Uh, yeah, this is definitely not Jesus. You could tell by the content of the so-called vision. Yeah, we're not made pleasing because of our efforts, our good works, anything like that before God. No, we're made pleasing because of Christ, his righteousness imputed to us. Don't believe me? Read Philippians chapter 3.
3: And you have suffered with me. You You have taken my cup and you have allowed yourself to suffer for my name's sake. And you have been as meek as a lamb and you have been beaten up and you have been abused and you have been used. But now I tell you that the lion and the lamb shall lie down within you together.
1: Oh, man. It's all about her, apparently.
3: And in the book of Revelation, one of the things, when he sets up his earthly kingdom in the thousand-year reign of Christ, he said the lion and the lamb shall lie down together. But you know what? They are lying down together within you.
1: (laughs) Really? Okay. Right now. Right now, okay.
3: That is that king and judge that is now within you. Yes, there are times to be a lamb.
1: <sighs> yeah, let's see again, this is all the problem. I mean, listen, when I look inside of myself, lady, I yeah, I don't see anything good. No no, um, no. Um, sorry, what I see is a sinner. I mean, um yeah, I have to kind of look outside of myself to Jesus. And his righteousness, his cross, his shed blood for me, that all happens outside of me. And when I read his word, well, that's outside of me, too. And by reading it, it gets inside of me. But I I don't look internally into my own belly button or do navel gazing or mystical stuff like this. I mean, this is complete and utter nonsense.
3: And he said to the broken and to the destitute and to the poor in spirit and to the humble, you will be as gentle as a lamb but to those that are proud and arrogant and and stubborn and will not surrender and will not submit. Even as he talked about Jezebel in the book of Revelation. He-
1: oh, man, I, this is just a non-coherent. I can't even call it a theology. I mean, it's-
3: he said, I gave her time to repent, but she would not. So he says judgment would come to Jezebel. And right now, I decree to you that I release that kingly anointing to judge.
1: Yeah, I, I, I decree that you don't have the decreeing power to decree things and to release anything.
3: That kingly anointing, and I release the lion of the tribe of Judah over your life.
1: Yeah, like you have the power to do that, lady.
3: Over your family. Over-
1: yeah, just yell. It makes it sound like you have all the authority just because you're yelling it. But you don't. You can scream all you want. You don't actually have the authority to do any of the things that you're screaming about right now.
3: Over your finances, over your relationships, over your children. And I decree that the lion of the tribe of Judah is arising in your life and he will judge the nations and he will judge, oh, judge every injustice in your life. And I see those scales of justice and they have been like this because you have been beaten down and there has been many injustices in your life. But the- how is it that
1: anybody like with, like half a brain could watch a video like this and actually believe that what she's saying is from God. I, yeah, I just... The
3: king of righteousness and justice is arising in your life. And those scales of justice are being made right because he loves you and he will fight for you. He said, stand still. I will fight for you. The king of glory is arising in the earth.
1: Yeah. We, we need to send this woman back to like basic logic class and remedial thinking
3: the king of glory right now is arising in your circumstances so receive the king of glory in your life receive the lion of the tribe of judah and the fierceness of his love for you he says i love you i love you tenderly but i love you fiercely and jealously as well and every- yeah,
1: by the way, if you uh, if you love your friends, family, and neighbors, uh, friends don't let friends um, have their brains fried by xpmedia.com. Just, just want to put that little public service announcement out there for you. <sighs> okay, I feel, you know, this. that was weird. Okay, one last thing before the break, and the name of this video is uh, Refuting Evolution in Under Three Minutes. Refuting Evolution in Under Three Minutes. You're saying, well, it can't be done. (laughs) Well, it can be done, and you're about to hear it. Refuting evolution in under three minutes. Get your stopwatch ready. Here we go.
4: You hear this one a lot. Science has proven evolution, therefore evolution is true. Since evolution is true and Christians don't believe it, then Christians don't believe science and they aren't rational people. Really, let's put that claim to the test. First off, evolution in the sense that things change is evident. No rational person disputes that. Therefore, rational Christians believe it. We can observe change, but evolution in the sense that life came from non-life and then that life began to randomly generate new genetic information and over time it eventually produced humans is something entirely different and something that quite honestly doesn't hold up against science. In other words, evolution in the sense of molecules to man is not scientifically possible and therefore should not be viewed as scientific fact. Quite honestly, it is in great opposition to science, that is, observational science, the kind of science we can test and repeat and use our five senses to understand. Science demonstrates that over time, living organisms lose genetic information, they don't gain it. That same science demonstrates that life doesn't arise from non life. Hey, Follow along if you would. Fact one there is no known observable process by which new genetic information can be added to an organism. Organism's Genetic Code. None. That pretty much refutes evolution right away, because there's no way to go from a fish to an amphibian without adding new information, right? If living organisms cannot produce new genetic information, how can anything gradually change into something of higher intelligence or form or complexity? That is, how can anything evolve from an amoeba to a man without adding new genetic information? The answer, of course, is that it can't. Plain and simple. Now, some have speculated, and they have imagined all kinds of things, and they brought in artists to produce creative renderings based on guesses, and they have been successful in telling a very convincing story that humans evolved from ape-like creatures but those are just drawings people they're just stories but what we really observe is humans are humans and apes are apes now if fact one buried evolutionary thinking deep into the Precambrian soil this next fact fact two tosses so much sediment on it that not even the greatest team of paleontologists with the latest subterranean gizmo could dig up the remains check this out never again never has it been observed that life can come from non-life so here are two major scientific evidences against evolution I reiterate for clarity, life has never been observed to come from non-life, and there is no known, observable process by which new genetic information can be added to the genetic code of an organism. So, molecules the man evolution doesn't really make scientific sense. Yet we are all here, and life is all around us in various forms. Although evolution cannot account for this, the Bible can. The Bible reveals that the all-powerful, all-knowing, supernatural God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, and all life according to its kinds, that is, each with its own set of genetic information. So, again, what the Bible reveals makes sense of what we see and understand. Evolution does not. Enough said.
1: And you said it couldn't be done. (laughs) Two minutes, 37 seconds. (laughs) If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash PirateChristian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
4: Sissyopified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the
1: Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents "Death of a Salesman." Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some?
5: Rah! <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. I'm um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay. Now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Rexquando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. You think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church.
1: Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So, the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to FightingForTheFaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. we're back warning the bible is very clear that pa- the pastor has only specific authority over your life only specific and we'll talk about that in a minute Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions. In order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world, you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. By the way, there's perks for those of you who join our crew, and that is, is that every time we publish a new ebook here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio, uh you you get that at no additional cost and i I'm not ready to announce our next ebook yet but uh, we we're, we're almost there we're just almost there just got to push through this last bit anyway so uh be listen be listening in the days ahead for the announcement of our next book all right let's uh, move on to our next segment here it's a lot
2: it's a lot it's a
1: lot it's a lot,
2: it's a lot. It's a lot. like like pastor and servant
1: Pastor and Servant. Pastor and Servant. There's a new game to play, you see. The game with an reality. You treat me like a dog, you down on my knees. We call it Pastor and Servant.
5: We
2: call it
1: Pastor and Servant. Servant. Yeah, now uh, that's our Eric Dijkstra uh, update music. So every time we uh, we do an, an Eric Dijkstra update, uh, well, that's the song that we'll be playing along with me singing the uh, relevant uh, lyrics that uh, slightly mess it up karaoke style. But uh, the question before us right now is, um, well, well, here's the question: Is studying your Bible distracting you from Jesus? Apparently that's possible. I had no idea that this was the case. Uh, well, it's the first that I've ever heard of it, at least from somebody who claims to be a Christian pastor. Um, here's uh, Eric Dykstra, a few minutes from uh, the sermon he delivered a while ago entitled uh, Call of Duty. Uh, this is uh, the number two in, in that sermon, and uh, he's talking about, well, he, apparently he's taken Joel chapter 2, or the, the invasion of locusts there in Joel chapter 2, and is making the claim that this the invasion of locusts is all about Christians that you know these and that and that uh, we as Christians are you know an individual locust can't really make a big difference in the world but a herd, a, an army, a, a mass, a swarm of locusts together focused can do all kinds of great damage like an invasion force if you would and and so he he's making the point that if you want to be like this. Uh, um, swarm of locusts that is able to do to do damage to evil and to the devil's kingdom that you've got to stay focused you've got to stay focused and so you don't want to be distracted and uh, so that's the setup for this particular um, soundbite here we go number one we must be unstoppably focused uh, just
6: just i'm gonna put this word of warning out here this, this this talk is for people who are who are very committed to jesus I just want you to know that in advance. If you're not so committed to Jesus, and you're still kind of kicking the tires of faith, you don't know what you think about God or faith, the whole this whole thing, I promise you in two weeks, there is a great series for you called First and Goal. You want to come back for that. But this talk is very much directed to Jesus followers. And so if you're a Jesus follower, I want you to lean in to the stuff I'm about ready to say. First, we must be unstoppably, unstoppably focused. Joel chapter 2, verse 7. This is the first verse we read. The attackers march like warriors and scale walls, like soldiers, straightforward, they march, never breaking rank. I want you to get this image in your head of warriors all in line, moving ahead, no, never looking to the left, never looking to the right, always straight, and they never get whoo, sidetracked by shiny. Just doesn't happen. They're just forward marching. They are unstoppably focused. A couple years ago, um, back when Kelly and I were engaged, it was about 16 years ago, uh, I got pulled over for drunk driving. uh I, Seriously, it was the year before um, we got married. I got pulled over for drunk driving, and I never drank before. And even then, I wasn't drinking. Um, I got pulled over because I was unstoppably focused on the hot chick next to me, (laughs) which happened to be my my fiancé, Kelly. And I was, like, so focused on Kelly that I could not pay attention to the road. (laughs) And I just kept drifting all over the road so bad, he pulled me over and made me walk the line. I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, I don't drink. No, 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 walk the line. Nobody drives like that. No, seriously. It was a hot girl. She distracted me. (laughs) I was unstoppably focused. This is what Jesus wants from his followers. He wants you to be so focused on him that you don't notice anything else. He wants you so focused on him that nothing else is as valuable. And here's what's really crazy. Christian people in particular, we get oh shiny. We get sidetracked on the whole God thing real quick, don't we? We're really good about, I'm going to focus on God, and whoa, there it went. Like all we, You know, it's like dudes, it's simple. You see a hot girl, what happens? Ding, gone. That, you know, supposed to focus on Jesus, you know, he'll help you. And be, you're not paying attention. Like, ladies in here, you see a hot guy, gone. We, we, we end up sidetracked from what God's called us to so easily, which is supposed to be Jesus. And we, we know that in relationship to bad things. Bad things distract us everybody understands that sexual misconduct will distract you from following god right it's gonna mess you up addictions gonna distract you gonna get you sidetracked from following god makes sense right bitterness anger gossip gonna get you up sidetracked from following god everybody gets the fact that bad things distract us but you know what i don't think it's just bad things that distract us most of the time i think it's good things that distract us good things that aren't the main thing become bad things Okay,
1: listen carefully.
6: Let me just talk about that for just a second. Just to think for a second. What, what are some good things that jack us up and get us off focus from Christ? How about this
1: one? Learning the Bible. <clears throat> what? Uh, I'm sorry, what? Learning the Bible gets us off focus and focusing on Christ.
6: Let me just talk about that for just a second. Just to think for a second. What, what are some good things that jack us up and get us off focus from Christ? How about
1: this one? Learning the Bible. So it, learning the Bible gets you off focus. Uh, it gets you off focus when it comes to Christ. Really?
6: Is it a good idea, church people in here, to learn the Bible? Absolutely. Now th-
1: th- th- by the way, what you're going to hear next, this is doublespeak. Watch this. He's going to speak out of both sides of his mouth.
6: Learning the Bible. Is it a good idea, church people in here, to learn the Bible? Absolutely, you should learn the Bible, you should know your faith, you should figure that out. But seriously, there are so many church people in particular, they get so caught up in what's this verse saying? What's this all about? And their nose is in the book all the time, and now they're just they're they're theology nerds. And they're talking about stuff nobody else on planet Earth cares at all about.
1: That's because everybody's born dead in trespasses and sins. And here's what I have to tell you you're out of focus. So if you know your Bible, if you're, 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 you got your nose in the Bible, you're a theology nerd and you're reading about stuff that nobody cares anything about. Here it again. But
6: seriously, there are so many church people in particular, they get so caught up in, what's this verse saying? What's this all about? And their nose is in the book all the time. And now they're just, they're, they're theology nerds and they're talking about stuff. Nobody else on planet earth cares at all about. And here's what I have to tell you. You're out of
1: focus. Yeah, actually, Eric, I'm going to tell you you're out of focus. I I listened to your Call of Duty 2 sermon, and where you claim that Joel chapter 2 is a picture of the army of Jesus Christ and about us, you don't know what on earth you are talking about. Maybe you might want to consult a theology nerd before you dare to come up with an interpretation like that on your own again because your interpretation falls flat. Now, being a theology nerd, you know, in fact— apparently uh <laughs> i'm out of fo- i'm off focus you know because I, I i read the bible and i'm learning and talk about things that nobody in the world cares anything about i mean heaven forbid that you do that um but let, let me point out a couple of things here first what god's word says about itself okay um we read uh in john chapter 17 the words of jesus he's praying for this church and he prays these words lord sanctify father sanctify them in the truth Your word is truth. Hmm. Or um, 2 Timothy 3.16, which we read yesterday. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Since these scriptures themselves are about Jesus Christ, knowing and being a theology nerd and having your face in the Bible is not going to distract you away from Jesus. It's going to point you to him. And, oh, man. Anyway, now, regarding uh, his uh, whimsical, uh, completely false twisting of Joel chapter 2, I would like to read to you, uh, well, a little bit first uh, from a good study Bible. Um, One of the Bibles I strongly recommend that people purchase and get a hold of, even if they're not a Lutheran, is the Lutheran study Bible. And the reason being, it is the best study Bible I have ever, ever Come in contact with, and I've and you know I've I have quite a few study Bibles, including the ESV Study Bible, which is fantastic, ridiculously great study Bible. But the Lutheran Study Bible is actually even better than that one, and it does use the ESV text. Now, I just happen to you know flip on over to uh, the uh, the introduction to the prophet Joel, and um and there's a section here in the preface, you know, in in the introduction to the book itself talking about the challenges for readers of the Book of Joel. And there's a section in here uh, for the historical context, as well as, well, the Plague of Locusts. Apparently, interpreting the Plague of Locusts has been a a perennial challenge for readers of the Book of Joel. But here's what the uh, introduction to the Book of Joel from the Lutheran Study Bible says. Plague of locusts. Interpreters have struggled with Joel's vision and description of invading locusts, wondering whether he meant a literal locust plague or was giving a figurative description of invading armies such as the Assyrians or the Babylonians. Since the prophets nowhere clearly describes the Assyrians or Babylonians, the notes treat the prophecy as a warning about an actual locust plague, which the prophet then used as a picture of judgment day. So the uh, the, uh, the plague of locusts from uh, Joel chapter 2, well, if you read it in context, the chances are you're going to clearly see that what it is that the prophet Joel was getting at regarding this plague of locusts, well, it was a picture of Judgment Day. So let's read Joel chapter 1. I mean, I, I understand I'm being a theology nerd here and that this is probably distracting me away from Jesus, but... You know, I'll take that risk. You know, I will take that risk for all of you listeners here Fighting for the Faith. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of uh, Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and the splintered uh, my, and splintered my fig tree it has stripped off their bark and thrown it down their branches are made white lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the lord the priests mourn the ministers of the lord the fields are destroyed the grounds mourn because the grain is destroyed the wine dries up the oil languishes be ashamed o tillers of the soil wail well, o vine dressers or the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple, and all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Now I've kind of find it odd that in his sermon he never read this any of the earlier stuff from um the book of Joel that would have provided a better context for us to properly understand what it is the Holy Spirit wanted us to understand. But we we continue. Verse 13, put on sackcloth and lament, O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar, go in pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withered from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Now, this is a key he's talking one of the things that's interesting about prophecies is is that you have to kind of look at them as uh well as a painting if you would and uh, a painter will paint stuff that's in the foreground and stuff that's in the background and so prophecy many times has stuff that is fulfilled immediately in the foreground so but there's stuff in the background of the prophecy a mountain range that could be far off that has yet to be fulfilled so we're we're getting a word picture here and i think there's there's uh, implications for the Readers of Joel at the time that this was penned, the word of the Lord came to Joel. And there's also uh, it clearly from the context here in verse 15, talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. Okay? Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our Lord? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of the cattle are perplexed. Because there is no pasture for them, even the flocks of sheep suffer. You, to you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The flame has burned, all the trees of the field, even the beasts of the field, pant for you because the water brooks are dried up. The fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. This is talking about judgment. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness, there is no there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people there there like has never been before, nor there will there ever be again after them, through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns, the land is like the garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war-horses, they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the, the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons They are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army. For his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome who can endure it. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Yeah, more proof that uh, we've got a real big problem with um, Eric Dykstra. Why? Well, he mangles God's word. I mean, to basically say that uh, Joel chapter 2 has anything to do with, well, uh, somehow a, a churchly army that's to go and take, you know, over the world or whatever and that uh and that you've got to learn how to be focused and and the and you that you you can't be distracted from Jesus. And one of the things that can distract you well from Jesus is his word. You you don't want to be a theolo- theology nerd. No, you you, you, you don't want to be distracted. Yeah, Joel chapter 2 isn't about that at all. And a pastor who would make this claim. But seriously, there are so many
6: church people in particular, they get so caught up in,
1: what's this verse
6: saying? What's this all about? And their nose is in the book all the time. And now they're just, they're, they're theology nerds. And they're talking about stuff nobody else on planet Earth cares at all about. And here's what I have to tell you. You're out of focus.
1: Wrong. Christians are supposed to be in the Word because the Word testifies to Christ and tells us what He has done for us. True Christians who are focused on Christ are in His Word. They do not despise His Word, and they do not put people down who are in His Word. The fact that you had to twist God's Word to come up with this interpretation tells us the truth about you, Eric Dykstra. You are not a shepherd from Christ. Well, you are a hireling of the devil. Then, yeah, I know that sounds strong. But I absolutely am convinced that is the case. Okay, one more thing before we uh, go into uh, our second break and then come into our sermon review. And uh, that, I'm not going to be able to get to the Mike Ratcliffe thing. By the way, if you want to read that, uh, he must increase, uh, uh, while I decrease, uh, go to Possessing the Treasure. Uh, Look it up, Mike Ratcliffe possessing the treasure, and then find that uh, article. It's a fantastic article that uh, Mike has written, and I'm not going to be able to get to it today and or even begin to do it justice. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you a portion from uh, the Augsburg Confession, uh, article 28 on the power of the bishops. Now, keep this in mind. Historically, uh, what you're going to be listening to is going to sound a lot like um, like what he's describing is the office of pastor, and in Lutheran theology, historically speaking, uh, the the word bishop and pastor at times seems interchangeable. Don't don't get that hung up here, because the, the, uh, well, in some senses they are, but in other senses they're not. It, it, it just you understand what I'm saying here. Um, the point here, though, is pay close attention to the power that the Scriptures give to the episcopos. Okay. To the power of bishops, there's a specific authority given to them, and it's not to tell people or demand of people uh, things regarding uh, that they that they serve in a church or do a particular things. In fact, quite the contrary. There's very specific things that people that the church has authority to do, and and that's it. And then if if you go beyond that, you're you're delving into places where the church does not grant authority to a pastor, and you need to know this as we go into our sermon review today, because this the the, the biblical arguments in this provide the counterpoint to what you're going to be hearing in the sermon that we're going to be reviewing in the next hour. So here we go. Uh, Many and various things have been written in former times about the power of bishops, and some have improperly confused the power of bishops with the temporal sword. Out of this careless confusion, many serious wars, tumults, and uprisings have resulted because the bishops, under the pretext of the power given them by Christ, have not only introduced new forms of worship, and burdened consciences with reserved cases and violent use of the ban, but have also presumed to set up and to depose kings and emperors according to their pleasure. Such outrage has long since been condemned by learned and devout people in Christendom. On this account, our teachers have been compelled for the sake of comforting consciences to point out the difference between spiritual and temporal power, Sword and authority, and they have taught that because of God's command, both authorities and powers are to be honored and esteemed with all reverence as to the two highest gifts of God on earth. So yeah, this is this is written against those who are mixing the the, the true authority given to you know the pastoral office or to the church um with the with temporal offices you know regarding people you know governing people's lives uh you know talk thinking about government here our teachers assert that according to the gospel the power of the keys or the power of bishops is a power and command of god to preach the gospel to forgive and retain sins to administer and distribute the sacraments in other words the only power that a pastor has is the power, is, is is a power and authority given by God to preach the gospel, to exercise church discipline, um, yeah, well, yeah, through the yeah, forgiveness and retaining of sins, and to administer and distribute the sacraments, period, the end, nothing else. A pa- A pastor does not have the authority to demand of you, you have to volunteer here at this church, or we're going to kick you out. That is not that is not an authority that's been given to a pastor. Here's why: For Christ sent out the apostles with this command, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. John chapter twenty, verses twenty-one through twenty-three. This power of the keys or of bishops is used and exercised only by teaching and preaching of the Word of God and by administering the sacraments to many persons or to individuals, depending on one's calling. In this way are imparted no bodily but eternal things and gifts, namely eternal righteousness, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. These gifts cannot be obtained except through the office of preaching and administering and the holy sacraments. For St. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Inasmuch as the power of the church or of the bishops bestows eternal gifts and is used and exercised only through the office of preaching, it does not interfere at all with government, or with temporal authority. Temporal authority is concerned with matters altogether different from the gospel. Temporal power does not protect the soul, but with the sword and physical penalties, it protects the body and the goods from the power of others. Therefore, the two authorities, the spiritual and the temporal, are not to be mingled or confused, for the spiritual power has its commission to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments. Hence, it should not invade the function of the other, should not set up and depose kings, should not annul temporal laws or undermine obedience to government, should not make or prescribe to the temporal powers laws concerning worldly matters. Christ himself said, my kingship is not of this world, and again, who made me a judge or divider over you? Paul also wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our commonwealth is in heaven, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4-5, through 5, the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds and every proud obstacle to the knowledge of God. Thus our teachers distinguish the two authorities and the functions of the two powers directing that both be held in honor as the highest gifts of God on earth. In cases where bishops possess temporal authority and the sword... They possess it at not as bishops by divine right, but by human imperial right bestowed by Roman emperors and kings for the admin, uh, temporal administration of their lands. Such authority has nothing at all to do with the office of the gospel. According to the divine right, therefore, it is the office of the bishop to preach the gospel, forgiveness of sins, judge doctrine and condemn doctrine that is contrary to the gospel, and exclude from the Christian community the ungodly whose wicked conduct is manifest. All of this is to be done not by human power, but by God's word alone. On this account, parish ministers and churches are bound to be obedient to the bishops according to the saying of Christ in Luke 10, 16, he who bear, hears you hears me. On the other hand, if they teach or introduce or institute anything contrary to the gospel, we have God's command not to be obedient in such cases. For Christ says in Matthew 7:15 beware of false prophets st paul also writes in galatians chapter 1 verse 8 even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you let him be accursed and in 2 corinthians 13:8 it says we cannot do anything against the truth but only for the truth again paul refers to the authority which the lord has given me for the building up and not for tearing down canon law requires the same in part 2 question 7 in chapters Sacerdotes and Ove, St. Augustine also writes in his reply to the letter of uh, Patilian that one should not obey even regularly elected bishops if they err or if they teach or command something that is contrary to the divine holy scriptures. Whatever other power and jurisdiction bishops may have in various matters, for example, in matrimonial cases and ties, they have these by virtue of human right. However, when bishops are negligent in the performance of such duties, the princes are oblig- obliged, when they like, whether they like to or not, to administer justice to their subjects for the sake of peace and to prevent discord and great disorder in the lands. Besides, there is disputes as to whether bishops have the power to introduce ceremonies in the church or to establish regulations concerning food, holy days, and the different orders of the clergy. So quickly to just summarize what we just read, um, the church has the authority to preach the gospel, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, to withhold the sins of impenitent sinners to punish those, you know, church discipline style, who uh, refuse to repent when uh, called out on their sins who are in the church. They have the authority to administer uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism, uh, those two things. And, um, well, after that, yeah, that's it. That's all that your pastor has the authority to do, period. He doesn't have the authority to rule over your life and tell you that you got—if you— if. If you don't uh, volunteer here, you know you—you—it's my way or the highway. If you—you got to get behind my vision that I've received from God. You no, know, the 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 church and the pastors don't have that authority, at all. Period. The authority that uh, Eric Dykstra is claiming for himself—it's not given to him by God. It's not found in God's Word. In fact, he's behaving like a, or lack of a better way of putting it, a parish pope. Which is one of the reasons why I call the secret driven guys like uh, Perry Noble and Stephen Furtick the purpose-driven popes of the Carolinas. Well, apparently well, there's, a, there's a purpose-driven pope in uh, Elk River, Minnesota. But the problem is is that uh, the, the Bible doesn't give the authority to do the things that he's doing to uh, Eric Dykstra nor to any of these purpose-driven guys. So that sets the, uh, the groundwork for what we're going to be doing in, uh, in hour number two during our sermon review. You don't want to miss it. Now, if uh, you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. And you can follow me on Twitter. My name there: Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
4: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: This is the air I breathe. This is the
5: air I breathe. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian
1: Radio. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says, Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. As we continue with part three of our Eric Dykstra trilogy critique. otherwise known as a discernment dogpile. <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the crossing in Elk River, Minnesota. Eric Dykstra presiding. The name of the sermon, Submission. Mission Control. It was part of a series called Submission It's all about submitting to authorities. And man, oh man, you're going to hear some doozers of some things here. This guy does not have a biblical concept of what the authority of the pastoral office is and isn't. And as a result of it, he is arrogating to himself authority that the Bible does not give him. Just flat out stealing it for himself. This is what cult leaders do. And remember yesterday we played that, uh, made it clear that... He's received a vision from God, and if you challenge the vision, well, you're challenging God Himself. Those are not my words; those were the words of one of the other pastors there at um, the Crossing in Elk River, Minnesota. So, uh, let's um, kill the music here. Without any further ado, here is our sermon: Submission. Eric Dykstra. Here we go. Mission Control.
2: Whoa! Free sub ride for three! Dude, nice! nice. Oh nice! nice. Dude. Now who nice. should I take? Huh? Huh? Blake? Yes! And Tenpain. Oh! Cool! Show Oh hands on Jack! This is about to get real!
1: Yes, this sermon begins with this.
2: Dude, yay! A lot of both! I'm on a boat, all hands on a deck, because 'cause we're diving down below. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat, submarine is still a boat, it's just an underwater boat. Yo, this ain't Hollywood, it's real, take a look at me. I'm on a submarine, diving in the deep sea. We fighting giant with under 20,000 leagues. Top of the line, you know we bustin' knots like it's policy. I'm sitting chillin' with my homies in the cabin. Water all around. Cards eating rations. Gap charge ain't gonna hold me back. Yeah, we shooting torpedoes, it's a sub attack. Yeah, yeah. Wealth outside fighting shots, slip. The underwater battle make you flip your lid. You hear the captain yell,
1: yo, periscope
2: down. No more guessing, see the world
1: around. I hate rap.
2: I'm on a mission to defeat the foes. Without a high mandate, there's no place to go. Doesn't matter what we do. Doesn't matter what we're caught in. We all know mutiny isn't an option. Everybody get up. This boat is real. I never thought of
6: I'm crossing. <laughs> I want to welcome you guys to the second week of submission. That thing should be on YouTube by about Tuesday. So if you're looking for it, you can send it around. Send it what you want. I want to welcome those of you that are watching in Zimmerman as well. Welcome to the second week of submission. Now, if you missed last week, let me see if I can fill you in just for a minute. What we basically
1: now listen carefully to his synopsis of what it is the main point of this sermon series is.
6: Oh, the waters of your face, deep in the recesses of your heart, there is a battle raging. And this battle is between authority and rebellion. Am I going to rebel or am I going to submit? And I hate that word. That's it.
1: Submit to who?
6: Submit. Hate that word. I don't like to be honest. Like, if you guys know me at all, like you, you know that like I, I, I am a natural rebel at heart. I am. I want to not be controlled by anyone. Hate having to submit. And I would guess that many of you are in an equal situation. It's hard to submit to your parents when you think the curfew's stupid, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to submit to a boss when you feel like he's just a jerk. Hard to submit to the parking team when you really wanted to park over there. <laughs> it's hard to submit to a pastor. It's- Whoa,
1: what? Okay, it's hard to submit to a pastor. Um, again, what authority does a pastor have? According to the scripture, the pastor has the authority to preach the gospel um has the authority to uh withhold the sins of unrepentant church members um you know to exercise church discipline has the authority to administer baptism and the lord's supper that's it submit to the authority of a pastor really what 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 does i mean what kind of pastor are we talking about here what authority does a pastor have over my life you know, it, it you know, it's serious. You know, got a problem here. Now, keep in mind, a pastor does have the authority to exercise church discipline and to put somebody out of the fellowship who is in gross, egregious, unrepentant sin. Um, as far as um, as far as you know, other types of authority. I mean, what would I need to submit to the pastor to? Hmm to the police
6: it's hard to, for those of you that are in recovery it's hard to submit to a sponsor sometimes when they tell you what they think your next step in the process is but here's the deal with this whole submission gig if you don't submit and you get on a u-boat and you make your life all about you you're going to get jacked
1: so um that includes if you if you get on a u-boat that's his euphemism for it you know living your life all about you so your life is going to get jacked if you don't submit to your pastor. That's what he's saying. That was in the list.
6: On a U-boat and you make your life all about you, you're going to get jacked. Destruction is coming your way. On the other Des- hand,
1: destruction's coming your way if you don't submit to your pastor. Weird. About you, you're going
6: to get jacked. Destruction is coming your way. On the other hand, if you decide to get on a submission with Christ and submit to the authorities that are over you, God promises your destiny will be blessing. Your future is going to be golden. He promises to bless your life when you sail.
1: So Christ is going to bless your life if you submit to your pastor. Weird. You talking about? How many of you were here last week? Zimmerman?
6: Most of you were there. Good. <laughs> I can't even see you. <laughs> Seriously. But like, if you get under what God's placed over you, God's going to protect and honor you. But if you go, I don't need no stinking authority. All hell is going to break loose. This is the truth of life. I'm going to give you a great example of this, just so you have an understanding of this. Just how much God is frustrated by you by, by you not submitting to authority. There's a story in the book of Numbers about a dude named Korah. Everybody say Korah. Korah lives at the same time as Moses. And he comes to Moses and he goes, dude, you're not the boss of me. And Moses is like, well, I kind of am. I was the one at the burning bush. Um, And he goes, no, I'm not going to submit to your leadership. I'm not going to submit to your authority. And so Moses goes, all right, we're going to call a timeout. Everybody's with, with Korah. Go over there. A bunch of people kind of go off to the side. Yeah, we don't need no stinking Moses. And kind of, he's like, all right, everybody step away from the idiots. Just everybody take a step away from the rebellious idiots. And as soon as he says that, look, look at the next, very next verse in the Bible.
1: Moses had hardly finished speaking the words. I mean, seriously, at this point, he's comparing himself to Moses. That should tell you something about what he thinks about his own personal authority. Look,
6: look at the next, very next verse in the Bible. Moses had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened up and swallowed the men of Korah along with their households and the followers who were standing along with them and everything they owned. You know what just happened here? The earth became Pac-Man. Gone. Basically, it's, it would seem, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it seems to me like God has an issue with rebellion. That if you get on the side of it's all about you and you get on your U-boat you and say, you're not the boss of me, that God is going
1: to jack you up. every. Yeah, keep in mind, again, in the list, authority, submitting to the authority of your pastor.
6: It's, it would seem, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it seems to me like God has an issue with rebellion. That if you get on the side of it's all about you and you get on your U-boat and say, you're not the boss of me, that God is going to jack you up every single time someone lives in rebellion, the result is destruction. On the other hand, if you choose to submit to your authority, what happens is you're sailing towards blessing.
1: Okay, so, I mean, this this sounds like a mafia pitch. I mean, you've you've all seen the movies where, you know, a mafioso comes and basically makes his pitch as to why you should pay him protection money. I mean, you know, and the and the mafia guy says, you know, I would hate for something bad to happen to you. I mean, and, you know, I can guarantee that uh, nothing bad will happen to you if I receive, uh, well, you know, a, a a paper bag full of cash to the tune of, you know, well, let's say $2,000 a week. I, no, I know that seems like much, but... You know, then again, I wouldn't want anything bad to happen to you. This, I, I care about you. I, I don't want you to get jacked up. Um, you know, because there's bad guys out there who could hurt you. And, but I can protect. I can protect you from them. I truly can protect you from them. Uh, but then again, you know, you, you've got, you know, we just, you know, I, I, I need to sell you my protection services, and it's only, you know, two thousand dollars a week in cash. In this brown paper bag, you know, with your, you know, with your business name on it, and drop it off here at this particular location, and you know, Vinny will uh, be happy to uh, to take your bag from you. And you know, again, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. So I mean, that's what this sounds like. I mean, if you don't submit to your pastor, God is going to jack you up. But if you want blessing in your life, well, then you need to submit to His authority. Charge you put there by
6: God. It wasn't an accident that the president got elected. Wasn't an accident the last time the president got elected and it was a different party. God put him there. Wasn't an accident you ended up with the parents that you have. Not an accident you ended up with the boss that you have. Not an accident when you end up with a babysitter that you don't like, little kids in here. Seriously? It's not an accident you ended up with the pastor that you got stuck with.
1: <laughs> there, there we go again. No, notice notice that you know, we, if we play the Sesame Street game. One of these things is not like the other. Um, you, you, you're familiar with the Sesame Street song,
3: right? Why not? One of these things is not like the others. Which one is different? Do you know? Can you tell which thing is not like the others? I'll tell you if it is so.
1: Yeah, great song. I mean, so uh, I, I think we can learn a lot from Sesame Street here. One of these things is not like the other. Okay, what, what, so see, I'm going to give you a list of things and see if you can pick out the thing that well doesn't belong. One of these things is not like the other. Okay, so here we go: police officer, president of the United States, mayor of your town, um, you could say your parents. And then you've got your pastor. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things, well, it's not the same. It doesn't belong. Here's a list. Police officer, president of the United States, mayor of your town. You could even say parents. And then you have your pastor. Hmm. Which one doesn't belong? Answer, pastor. Think about it. The power he's claiming here is basically some kind of temporal authority over your life. And yet the office of the pastor does not have temporal authority over your life. The power has the authority, the pastor has the authority to preach the gospel, to administer the sacraments, to execute church discipline, um to, you know, call out false teachers if you would. Um but the pastor doesn't have the authority to order your life. See what I'm saying? Something's weird here.
6: Kids in here, seriously, it's not an accident you ended up with the pastor that you got stuck with. (laughs) It's not an accident whoever is in authority over you. God himself put him there. Now, having said that, consequently, he who rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Or you flip off your authority and say, no, I'm getting on my U-boat. God's going, you didn't just flip off your authority, you flipped me off. You didn't just say, I don't need no stinking authority to that dude. Even if you don't like your teacher, you didn't like him. He thought he's a jerk. So you flipped him off. You flipped him off. And God never takes this lightly. All authority established by God. And if you jack with it, he will jack with you.
1: Now, so if you don't submit to your pastor, God's going to jack with you. Tonight, the whole talk we're going to do tonight. This is really just part two of last week's talk.
6: Are there any exceptions to the submission deal? Is there any chance I actually get to rebel ever? <laughs> Come on, there's got to be, a, like everybody wants to rebel, right? There's got to be some moments when I get to rebel. When are those moments, when can I do this? And secondly, then if i got to live a life of submission, how do I do this? Because we don't even think this way. This isn't even like in our on our radar screen most of the time. We just submit when we want to rather than because we're supposed to. And so what I want to do is I want to answer these two questions and, and, and then this, this talk's going to be over and then we're going to do week three next week. We're going to even get deeper into this whole gig. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about, about family submission issues. We're going to talk about husband and wife issues. How does this work in a marriage? Oh, I'm going to like, I'm, oh, I can't believe I'm going to bring this up. This is going to be scary stuff next week. You don't want to, you do not want to miss this. Kelly's going to help me teach a little bit next week to kind of pull this off. Going to be crazy. All right. We're going to pray and we're going to roll. Can we do it? Good. Get a Bible, pen, piece of paper. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray so we can get going. Jesus, I ask that uh, you be the leader and the teacher of this talk. I ask you to be very present. I thank you so much that you've given us a plan for living on a submission with you. Help us sail towards destiny and not destruction. Bless our lives. Give us the courage to submit. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said Amen. amen. We're going to jump to question number one. If your authority tells you to do something wrong, sinful, or immoral, You don't got to submit to them. Did you know that? If your authority tells you to do something wrong, sinful, or immoral, you don't have to submit. Now, what's the likelihood of this occurring? (laughs) There's about a 1% chance, probably even go less than that, 0.01% chance. Seriously, the only exception is not because you don't like them, but because they made you do something evil, wrong, immoral. Sinful is the word that we'd use in a church service, okay? It's the only exception to the rule. But in those situations, you get to, re- I'll give you a couple examples in the Bible. Check it out. First of all, I talked to you about the midwives in Exodus chapter one. See, in Exodus one, the Israelites were ruled by a vicious Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he was like, I don't want the Egypt- the-, the Israelites to get too big and powerful. So he told all of the midwives, all of the, the girls working in the hospital department were like birthing babies. Like, seriously, if it's a boy, kill it. Just kill him right now. But if it's a girl, let her live. And the midwives respond, or, or say, this is what Exodus says they respond with. Because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king and they allowed all the boys to live. We're not going to kill babies. I'm sorry. We're not doing this. There's some exceptions to having to submit. Isn't that nice? You don't got to kill babies. That's good. Another one. This, the, the disciples in Acts chapter 4. What's going on is this. They're preaching about Jesus. Jesus can change your life. He's so awesome. He'd love to help you. He'd love to be like good to you. And the reality is that he didn't really like it. They called him in and said, dude, we don't want you to talk like that about, about Jesus anymore. So we're going to anyway. So then they said, well, we're going to beat you up. And they went, pff, 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 beat them all up and then said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they responded by saying this, judge for yourselves, whether it is right in, the, in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Or, I'm sorry, but we have to submit to a higher authority than you. His, he's called God, and we're going to live in submission to him and not to you. And so, no, we're going to keep talking about Jesus. And they do. See, there are moments when you're allowed to rebel. But it's only if somebody comes to you and says, look, Eric, is there, Like, give me a modern example. I'll give you several, okay? Uh, World War II is a great example. Hitler says, kill all the Jews. Uh No, I'm not doing that. I, I'm not living that way. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'll give you another another great example. I know somebody in our church that was re- recently had to quit her job because her her boss told her that she had to basically steal money from people and be dishonest. Like, you got to be dishonest, and you got to take this money, and it was completely immoral and wrong. And she's like, I, I, I can't, I can't do that. She quit her job. I know another dude that goes to our church. That, that that his boss came to him and said, "Like seriously, when the clients come into town, take them to the strip club." And he was like, "Um, I, I, I got a moral objection to this. I, I can't take him to the strip club. I'm I'm not I'm not doing that." I I know, I I know. I'll give you a great example. My mom used to used to work for a company called the Meredith Corporation, which is the biggest uh, producer of magazines in the country. They have more contracts for magazines in the country than any other country. And then there was this one day when I was a kid when my mom came to me and said I had to quit my job today. I'm like, really? Why? Well, she said, Well, well, today we got the contract for Playboy. And I went to my boss and I said, I'm sorry, I can't in good conscience help put out Playboy when it's ruining people's marriages and it's wrecking dudes. And I I, I can't I can't do this in good conscience. And then they said, Well, then you can't work it. And she said, Cool. And she resigned. See, sometimes the best thing to do is to rebel. It is the the best thing you could do would be to rebel. But here's the here's the deal with this.
1: Okay, I'm gonna make this clear. If your pastor is twisting God's word, if your pastor claims to be a prophet that he's received a vision from God and he's twisting God's word, he's not telling you the truth. If he doesn't correctly pro- uh, uh, handle the word of God and if he teaches a different gospel, uh, you are not to uh, allow that person to practice the authority of the preaching office in your church. You're to rebel against him and throw him out. Just you just want to make that clear
6: playboy when it's ruining people's marriages and it's wrecking dudes. And I, I, I can't, I can't do this in good conscience. And they said, well, then you can't work. It. And she said, cool. And she resigned. See, sometimes the best thing to do is to rebel. It is the, the best thing you could do would be to rebel. But here's the, here's the deal with this. That means you have to have enough guts to do so.
1: That's right. You need to, folks, the the folks who attend uh, Elk River, uh, the crossing in Elk River, need to rebel against this pastor because he's a false prophet. Uh, They need to have a coup d'etat and throw him out of town. Get him out of that church. Get him to stop preaching. He he is an abuser of power that he doesn't even have, and he twists God's word. Could kick your butt, but I'm
6: not going to. (laughs) That's Jesus in the garden. They come to him, tie up his hands, start beating the snot out of him. Peter reaches for a sword. He goes, no, 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 put it away. It's all good. We don't got to fight back. He could have jacked them so hard they never would have even existed. But he chose not to. See, you submit from courage, not from weakness. So when you rebel, you have to have enough courage to go, I'm not going to live sinfully. You are not going to make me do this. And you have enough guts to rebel. Are you with me? Okay, now having said that, some of you are going, Eric. But how do I go about the rebellion thing? Do I get to flip people off? And I no, actually, let me see if I can help you with some suggestions on how to rebel. Like just, like, just help. Like th- this is what I would call Christian rebellion. First of all, there's four. There's four. There are four ways you Christianly rebel. First of all, be prayerfully before you pop off at the mouth and get a sign and go stand outside and protest. Christians who love to do this. Why don't we start with a little bit of prayer? Why don't we close our mouth and talk to him and say, God, I need some wisdom as how do I approach this? I can't do this. This is not moral." So, um, and you know what? He'll give you some wisdom. He promises to give you wisdom when you ask. Secondarily, you got to do this respectfully. You have to do this respectfully. Notice Peter and John. They didn't say, hey, you stupid idiots. I'm not listening to you. You should follow Jesus. No, no, no. They're, they just said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to respectfully decline and we're going to keep speaking about Jesus. Respect. Respect. Seriously, I'm going to say this because it's really important. Martin Luther King, the, the, the South is getting, the black, blacks in the South are getting jacked. He had enough vocal ability, was articulate enough, he could have caused every minority in the country to destroy his government. Instead, he re- respectfully said, why don't we just change this? why don't we just change this? And they put him down. And he said, why don't we just change this? And they put him down. Why don't we just change this? You know what happened? He got what he wanted. Because he was respectful. Drastic difference between that and just getting violent and like exploding because something occurred. Which is our natural tendency, isn't it? Respectfully. Third, got to be creative about this, man. You should respond creatively. For example, in the book of Daniel, Daniel is told, you got to eat the king's meat Drink the king's wine. And he's like, well, I have a moral obligation against this. I can't really do that. And he said, but I'll give you an alternative. What if you let me eat vegetables and drink only water for 10 days? And if I'm doing really, really well, let me sit, keep, keep that plan. And they were like, cool, let's try it. And in the 10 days, he's doing awesome. He's doing better than everybody else. He got to keep it. He just creatively offered an alternative. You know, the guy that got told he had to go to the strip club, he goes, well, what if I took him instead of the strip club? What if I took him golfing instead? And they were like, cool. Problem solved. So you just got to think a little creatively about how you respond to authority. Nine times out of ten, you can come up with a solution they'll be fine with. You really can. I, I tell my son this all the time. If you think a teacher is being unfair, you meet with him I need to set up a meeting with you after class. After class, you sit him down and say, like, I have a problem with the, with the way this is going. I think this is really, really unfair. You know what? Nine times out of ten, he gets what he wants seriously several times over the last year he's gone to his administrator in the whole school set up a meeting with the administration and said um, this is what's going on in school and it just it's not working we need to change this this is sixth grade and he usually gets what he wants why? because there's a proper way to go about rebellion so you get what you want and you're not just stupid about it seriously Jesus said be innocent as sir or, or, or what do you say? Be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Wise as serpents. So you think wisely about this. And then lastly, you've got to do this resolutely. If they say no, you say, it's all good. I'm rebelling anyway.
1: By the way, when Jesus said to be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves, he wasn't referring to, he, Jesus wasn't going, okay, now here's how you rebel in a way that's kind of wise and whimsical. That, that wasn't the point of that passage.
6: Proper way to go about rebellion so you get what you want and you're not just stupid about it. Seriously, Jesus said be innocent as serp, or what do you say? Be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Wise as serpents. So you think wisely about this. And then lastly, you got to do this resolutely. If they say no, you say, it's all good. I'm rebelling anyway. It's all good. I'm rebelling anyway. I'm not, like seriously, three dudes were told, bow before the golden statue or we throw you in the fiery furnace. And they looked back at the king and said, you can throw us in if you want, but we're not bowing. They were resolute, got thrown right in. God protected them. On the other hand, there's, there's a Bible that you have sitting on your seat. It's probably the result of William Tyndale. In 1526, William Tyndale translated the first bible into english from latin the english government says you're not allowed to translate the bible into english we are allowed to do that you can't do this he said i'm gonna do it. this if you do it we're burning you at the stake he translated the bible got burned at the stake took the consequences the bible you hold is a direct result of william tyndale i'm going to be resolute no matter what you do i'm translating this gig this is making sense now, having said that, I need to put a very big disclaimer on this. Very big disclaimer. You don't get to rebel because your authority is evil. All authority is evil. You know anybody who's perfect? Tell me who's perfect in here. Jesus, that's it. President not perfect. Pastor's not perfect. Priests aren't perfect. Your, your professor's not, there's not a. There's not a perfect person in authority anywhere which means you don't get to rebel because they're evil. You rebel because they told you, you to do something evil. There's the clarification. I'm going to give you a verse on it. First Peter 2.18 says this. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable.
1: Now, I, I want to keep this in mind here. The context in which he's reading this, he's including himself. Servants, you know... Be respectful to your masters, including your pastor.
6: We're wrong. We don't rebel just because they're stupid. They can be unreasonable and you're going to get on a submission and God's going to honor you or you can rebel and go right sailing towards your destruction. That's the clarification I have to make in all this. But you do have an exception. If you can find the point zero, 1%. Go for it. Are you guys still with me? Cool. Hopefully, you'll become a rebel with a cause at the right moment. We don't need any more weak people who can't stand up at the right time. There are too many people who just roll over when there's a moment when we can't roll over anymore.
1: That's right. The folks at, at, at uh, the Crossing Church need to stand up to this false prophet who is calling himself a pastor.
6: we got a second question we got to deal with. Second question. Question number two. How do I begin to live a life of submission? How do I actually pull this off? How do I whoosh, sail towards submission? This is hard stuff. How do I do this? Let's see if I can help with this. First of all, first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pray. You are going to have to pray. Pray, pray. I put a statement up there. I live a life of submission when I pray for my leaders. We missed the four, but whatever. (laughs) I live a life of submission when I pray for my... I want you to say that with me. Say, right now, I live a life of submission when I pray for my leaders. Here's how I'm going to tell you something really harsh, okay? You don't have the right to complain about your authority if you haven't bothered to pray for your authority.
1: You got a verse for that?
6: (laughs) I live a life of submission when I pray for my... I want you to say that with me. Say, right now, I live a life of submission when I pray for my leaders. Here's how I'm going to tell you something really harsh, okay? You don't have the right to complain about your authority if you haven't bothered to pray for your authority. (laughs) Everybody wants wants to gripe about a president... Everybody wants to gripe about Congress. Everybody wants to gripe about a teacher. But there's one dude who's totally capable of changing their minds. And if all you ever do is gripe, you never see anything change. We have to start. Start. Submission always starts with prayer. Starts with prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this. I urge then, first of all, that request prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone for kings and all those in authority you know what god's saying you should thank god for your president even if you disagree with him you should every single day you should be thanking god that you got a president every single day you should be thanking god for your professor every day you should be thanking god that you have a sponsor those of you in the 12 steps those of you don't have like seriously you should be thanking god you got a sponsor we thank God for authority. We don't just complain about authority. And then secondarily, if they're jacked in the head, pray God changes their mind. He's so good at this. I'll give you a great example. I was a senior in high school. My dad came to me and said, I'm going to pay for your college education if you go to this one college. Otherwise, I'm not paying a dime. And I was like, Dad, I don't, I, I don't really feel like I should go to that school. And he goes, Nope, this is where you're going to, going to school. Um. And I... Or you have to pray that God changes my mind. And I didn't have any money, so I started praying. Four months, I prayed every single day. God, please change my dad's mind so I can go to a different school. I don't really want to go to the school. Please. But like four months later, God, like my dad came back to me and he goes, Eric, we've kind of rethought it. You can choose your own school. Wherever you want to go. But if you haven't prayed, you don't have the right to complain. You should be praying every day for, like seriously, on my, in my prayer journal. I got a, a daily prayer journal I pray. Every single day I pray for president, Congress, and the government. Why? Because I want them to make wise choices. This is regardless of who's in power, because God put, God put them in power. So then I just want to pray God's blessing on their life. Give them wisdom like they never had before. Give them understanding. Help them make wise choices. Keep our country safe. Keep our, help, help Minnesota to thrive. Like those kind of prayers make all the difference in the world. But you got to pray. Submission starts with prayer. You want to get on a submission with Christ? You got to start praying. I'll give you a second one.
1: Notice everything, I mean, this is just a law sermon, all law browbeating. You don't have a right to complain if you haven't prayed. So if you want to be submissive, you better start praying.
6: When I obey my leaders, Ooh, I put a verse on here that you're not going to like very much. I don't like this verse either. Colossians 3.22. You slaves must obey your earthly masters in everything you do.
1: Now, again, I'm pointing out the fact that he's included pastors in this list of things, we, of people we have to submit to as our earthly masters. Try to please them
6: all the time. Not just when they are watching you. i to stop for a second. Here's what you want to do. I'm going to be like this. Oh, look, there's the police. Yes, I'm going to speed limit. Hi. Police is gone. Oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Boss is around. Oh, yeah, look how hard I work. Mm, I work hard. Oh, boss is gone. <laughs> no, no, no. God's going, submission means whether they are present or not. You're going to get under what God placed over you. Whether they are present Or not. Well, why, Eric? Why should I want to do this? Obey them willingly because of your reverent fear for the Lord. Or here's the deal. Even if they aren't watching you, there's somebody who is all the time. And we submit to authority because that dude is paying attention to us. And he doesn't honor us when we're playing games with authority. ah, He's going, dude, put the dumb umbrella down. We're running around playing umbrella games, and he's going. I'm not. I'm not blessing that. You look like Mary Poppins,
1: man. <laughs> Come on, hold it still. Get under the authority in public and private, whether well, they. Okay, now he has a prop. It's a. It's a big golf umbrella, and uh, you've got to get under the authority. The umbrella is the authority. You've got to get under it.
6: Ooh, ah, ooh, he's going, dude. Put the dumb umbrella down. We're running around playing umbrella games, and he's going, "I'm not, I'm not blessing that." You look like Mary Poppins, man. <laughs> Come on, hold it still. Get under the authority in public and private, whether they are there or not, and God blesses your life.
1: Seriously, kids, this is all law. He's
6: not around, and she says, "All right, leave the room for five minutes. You guys be quiet. <laughs> Nobody's quiet." <laughs> It just happens. So you're going to have to make a choice. I want God's blessing on my life. I'm going to keep my mouth shut.
1: If you want to be blessed by the law, you have to obey it perfectly. That's what the scriptures say. Yeah. In fact, if you want to be blessed by the law, the scripture says you're under a curse because cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the law. Read the book of Galatians. He does not understand the proper use of God's law.
6: So first, you pray. Second, you obey. Third, third, you convey. You convey. You specifically you convey honor. You convey honor. How do you submit to authority? You convey honor. I put a statement up here. I live a life of submission when I convey honor to my leadership. I don't want you to say that with me. I live a life of submission when I convey honor to my leaders. Oh, man, this one is a big deal. I, I'm just going to help you understand this for just a second. I, I grew up in a, in a church environment, and I'm not trying to, d- to jack on my church. I promise you. I'm just trying to give you an ex- example, okay? I grew up in a church environment where pastors would get on stage, and they would publicly ridicule the candidate that got elected that they didn't like. They would mock the president. They would mock Congress. They'd mock the, the, the whatever. They would just get on stage and mock their authority. They mock them, and then they couldn't figure
1: out. Which is, church is not for that, by the way. If you've got a pastor who does that, he needs to knock that off. He has more important things to be doing, like proclaiming the word, preaching the word, proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. He's got a job to do, and it's, his job is not to mock and ridicule the powers that be in Washington, D.C., or wherever you're living
6: why they would leave the stage and everybody would mock them behind their back. You know why? Because they had a culture of dishonor in their church. The only way you're ever going to get honor is if you bring honor to the table. you got to decide, I'm going to be a person of honor. I'm not going to speak negatively about anybody in authority. If they are over me, if they are my umbrella, I refuse to mock, berate, make fun of them. I'm not doing it. Is not coming out of my mouth. I'm going to honor them entirely. I don't have to necessarily agree. There's a difference between agree and honor. You guys know the difference, right? If you don't know the difference, just ask the Secret Service agent. He is politically neutral, but he will give his life for the president because he understands honor even if he disagrees. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you a couple verses about it. A couple verses about it. Romans 13, 7. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe him taxes, you should pay your taxes. If it's revenue, pay revenue. If it's respect, then respect. If honor, boom. Give it honor. Give an honor. First Peter 2, 16 and 17. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone, whether you agree or not. Woo. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Fear God. How do you fear God? Honor the king, honor the president, honor the mayor, honor your teacher, honor your boss, honor your parents. We treat people with honor all the time. We should be the one, the one organization in all the world that is so respectful that people are blown away by the honor we bring to other people. I cannot believe you disagree with that, but look how good you treat them. Look how well you treat them, despite your disagreement. This is what Christians should be known for. And I'm even going to just tell you straight up, this is what the Bible says about pastors, 1 Timothy five seventeen and 18. I'm not doing this because I'm trying to get you to honor me. I'm trying to get you to understand the Bible. Okay? It says this, the elder who directs the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor especially those who work in preaching and teaching. So if you're, if, if you're involved in a ministry where a guy has taught you or a woman has taught you all about Scripture, man, and you're, like, learning and growing and changing, you got to bring them double honor. You're called to be like, dude, thank you so much for helping me.
1: Um, when do you teach the word correctly? All you've been doing is stringing a bunch of law stuff out of context.
6: Them double honor. You're called to be like, dude, thank you so much for helping me. I think you can add in their sponsor. I think you can add in their teacher. We are called to honor one another. Now, specifically because some of us don't really know what honor is anymore, I defined it for you. Let me just show you the three things I think honor equals. Honor equals, first of all, a positive attitude. It equals a positive attitude. There is nothing worse for a boss to have a meeting look around the room, and three of them are like, oh, I'm complaining about this, and this is stupid, and I don't like this, and i like, you know how hard it is to lead like that? Seriously, I tell our staff all the time, man, if you are a doggy downer, do not plan to work here long term. You're going to go work someplace else, because you're not bringing honor to the table. We are called to be people of joy. We're going, to rejo- We're going to choose joy all the time, man. We're going to have positive attitude. We're going to work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Because I'm not working for a dude, I'm working for him. And because of that, man, I'm choosing joy. I'm gonna be cheerful, positive attitude. Secondarily, body language. You ever seen a a, a teenager obey? (sighs) Fine. Whatever. (laughs) She know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not honor, man. God looks at the heart. He knows that even if you're obedient on the outside, your heart is not submissive. Honor means, man, I'm, my body language is going to bring it. Check it out. This is a verse um, in the book of Leviticus. We didn't get the reference on here. It says this. Show your fear of God by standing up. It's Leviticus 19, if you want the reference. Show your fear of God by standing up in the presence of elderly and showing respect for the aged. What? Seriously, this is back in the, back in the day when um, the Hebrews had to follow a whole bunch of other extra rules, like they couldn't eat pork and they had all, like, you know, all these rules they had to follow. One of the rules they had to follow, uh, is somebody older than them is in the room, boom, you're up, you're on your feet, showing respect. Now, we don't have to follow that rule anymore. That's a whole other story. But I would say it's kind of fascinating to me that God thinks body language matters. He thinks your body language matters. It shows honor. You, Seriously, I'm not making this up. This actually occurred. I was standing in the lobby out here talking with a dude one time. All of a sudden, somebody else at our church walks up to me and goes, smacks me on the butt and says, hey, good game today. And then it says another word that I'm not allowed to repeat in this room on the stage. And he kind of walked off. This is somebody that serves with me. And I was like, and I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody else. As soon as I could excuse myself, I walked over, put my hand on his shoulder, took him off to the side of the room, and I said, I'm your pastor, and I love you, but I deserve more respect than that. I wouldn't do that to you. Don't you ever do that to me again. I tell our staff all the time, at the end of the day, I get a yes, sir, not a hey, dude. You know why? I hold the umbrella. And it's the same thing true for everybody else. Your, that's, that's your authority. We treat authority with honor. We respect them, even if we disagree with them. And then third, it's about words, man. It's about words. If somebody has changed your life in the 12-step program, you should constantly be thanking them. Oh, dude, thank you so much for helping me. Thank you so much. If a pastor has really has really helped you in life, man, you should be, dude, thank you so. Seriously, there, there are two pastors that have changed my life. One's name is Pastor Ed Young. Another guy's name is Pastor Bill Cornelius. And I,
1: Ed Young Jr. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm.
6: That have changed my life. One's name is Pastor Ed Young. Another guy's name is Pastor Bill Cornelius. And I, you will always hear me honor and respect these two guys. I'm constantly, constantly, thank you so much. I'll send them a gift card. Here's like a $50 gift card, like $100 gift card at Cabela's. Dude, just take this. Like, I just want you to know how much I appreciate all you've done for me. I tell our staff all the time, if somebody in authority pays attention to you, gives you time, energy, and focus, write them a thank you note. And if you can, include a little gift card. and Be like, dude, thank you. Why? Because we're going to honor the people that have helped us. You've got a teacher that's been good to you? Honor them.
1: So Eric Dykstra wants you to send him gift cards so that he can go out to really nice restaurants.
6: Honor them. We are the only group of people in the world that's ever going to practice honor. The rest of the world are gonna do this. They're gonna get on U-boats and be all about themselves. But we're gonna live a life of submission, and
1: it's gonna you know the Japanese culture is pagan, and it's all about honor.
6: It's gonna be radically different. You know what happens then? You honor your leaders, and man, they honor you in return. <laughs> they do, man. All of a sudden, they're paying attention to you. They are honoring you like, oh, thank you. I love to having you having you in my life, and like seriously, it, 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 it's it's it's. It's back and forth. It's it, it, it's a symbiotic relationship that just kind of grows as you practice
1: honor. So if you honor your pastor, then well, he'll reciprocate and he'll give he'll pay attention to you. Otherwise, forget it. It's you know he, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to pay any attention to you at all until you honor him.
6: They do, man. All of a sudden, they're paying attention to you. They're honoring you, like, "Oh, thank you. I love having you having you in my life." And like, seriously, it's it's it, it's it's back and forth. It it, it it's, it's a symbiotic relationship that just kind of grows as you practice honor. Are you with me? So first, 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 we pray, and then we obey. And third, we're going to convey, and then lastly, we're going to guard our leaders against foul play. We are going to guard against foul play. I put a statement up here. It just says this, I live a life of submission when I guard my leaders against foul play. And I want you to say that with me. I live a life of submission when I guard my leaders against foul play. Oh, My goodness. Who gets shot first in any organization? The leader does, man. The leader takes all the junk, man. He's the first to get shot day in, day out. The criticism always goes to the boss, doesn't it? Or the criticism always goes to the administrator. Criticism always goes to the teacher. Criticism always goes to the lead pastor. We always get shot first. Because we're the ones out front. And if you are underneath somebody else... It is your job. It is your job to guard against all that junk for them. You function, this will help, this way, help it this way. You function as their armor bearer.
1: Okay, so you got that. Your job, folks, is to be the armor bearer of your pastor.
6: Wow. Get all decked out in the same armor and then would carry a ginormous six foot shield in front of David. And he would carry a huge sword. It was his, I mean, he was the biggest and the baddest of them all because he had to carry a six foot solid shield. And it was his job to make sure that whatever happens, he was going to guard the king. I'm going to guard the king. I'm going to guard the king. I'm gonna, it is my job to whatever occurs. I'm guarding the king. I will give my life for the king. And that's how we live a life of submission also is we guard are leaders against all the attacks that come their way. And they get attacked and jacked and hurt, stabbed in the back, beat on. Guys, the amount of junk that comes my direction, unbelievable.
1: That's because you are completely out of alignment with God's word and what the job of the pastor is, and you mangle God's word to boot. And they get attacked and jacked and
6: hurt, stabbed in the back, beat on. Guys, the amount of junk that comes my direction, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And other, look, seriously, this is one of the cr- coolest things I ever heard. Was A, a pastor friend of mine with a, with a much larger church than us. He got jacked in the media. I mean, just really beat on in a couple of interviews that just weren't even true.
1: This will be Ed Young Jr. And yes, the allegations were absolutely true. He had a private jet and he was keeping it from everybody.
6: And he gets up on stage. I mean, he got beat on his reputation. And by the way, it's always the Christians that ruin other people's reputation. It was mostly Christians that were ripping. And I'm just like, whatever. He got up on stage and he was just like, guys, I just want to tell you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. For being here. Now, here's what I'm. I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to get you to be in my corner all the time. I would tell you that you're responsible to be in everybody's corner that's in authority over you. I'm gonna give you a verse that freaks me out a little bit. Psalms 105, verse 15. It just says this: "Do not touch my anointed ones."
1: That is not referring to a pastor. Sorry, sorry. You are absolutely out of your mind. This is exactly the same verse. That the, the, the word faith heretics, the guys on TBN, t- take out of context to apply to themselves so that anybody who critiques their false doctrine and their heresy, they say, don't touch God's anointed. Don't touch God's anointed. So now we're hearing it from you. That's the go-to verse for all heretics.
6: Psalms 105, verse 15, it just says this. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets No harm. That's a crazy verse. (laughs) You got to. Who's the anointed ones? Well, your teacher would be your anointed one. God put him there.
1: You're either a true prophet or a false prophet. In your case, you're a false prophet. You don't fall under this.
6: Your president. He's the anointed one. God put him there. Are you ripping on him behind his back? Or are you defending him? That doesn't mean you have to like his policies, but you don't have to rip on his character. And we blur those lines all the time. I'll give you, just, I'll give you a simple example. A couple weeks ago, actually about a month ago, I get this letter from another pastor, or email from another pastor, who just goes off ripping on a, on the character of another pastor friend of mine. I mean, just obliterating his character and how wrong he was and all the rest of it. And I just drove back and I said, you can, you can say anything you want about me, but you don't know this person? I know him. I know his wife. I know his kids. I've prayed with the man. I know his heart. You are not going to speak that way. I, boom. And I just like... <sighs> Never heard from that guy again. <laughs> And I don't mind. You know why? Because I'm going to defend my authorities. That dude put tons of stuff into my life. Nobody's going to rip on his character in front of me. Seriously, you're not going to hear me pick on a, a specific pastor by name. It will never happen from this stage. You know why? Because I am not going to touch God's anointed. It's not going to happen. I might disagree with some of the way they do church, some of the things they do. You're never going to hear me say it. Specifically, in the relationship with their character. Not going to talk about their character. Does this make sense? We are called to be their armor
1: bearers. No, we're not. Bearers. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. And when all is said and done, when
6: all is said and done, when we pray, and when we obey, and when we convey honor, and when we guard against foul play, hmm. We live on a submission with God. And God in return, he blesses us.
1: Allah, this is the cosmic quid pro quo. I want
6: you to think about your leadership for a second. Just think this through for a second. Kids, I want you to think about your parents. If you would pray for them and obey them and convey honor their direction and guard against the negativity behind their backs, you know what would happen? (sighs) You would sail, sail towards your destiny. Seriously, all you employees in here, if this became the way you handled your boss, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to convey honor, his direction, and respect. And lastly, I'm going to guard against people saying negative stuff about his... Like, you, you can say... I disagree with his policies, but you're not going to annihilate his character. With the government, with your teachers at school, what if from this moment on, you decided, I am going to get on a submission. I'm going to get under what God placed over me. I know
1: what the result is. Because there's so much. Do, do you notice that what's missing in all of this? It's the gospel. Okay. The purpose of the law is to show us our sin, and here's the deal. He's in on some levels. He's correctly handling the law as it pertains to authority, and we would we would point to the the uh, the commandment: honor your father and mother. I mean that that's really what sets the stage for you know or informs everything regarding those authority structures and how we are to look at at people who are in authority over us you know starting with our parents and moving out to our bosses and to the government and things like that. So in one sense he he correctly has this, but what's weird here is that he has he's basically putting you know the authority of the pastor in the same authority as you would you would get from a king or a president. And that's not the authority given to a pastor. So now we've got a problem, okay? And the fact that he claims to be a prophet, that he's got a direct vision from God that justifies the things that he's doing, and that he's wrongly asserting authority for himself that he doesn't have, that again, this also creates the problem. Because if you take his advice by his mixing and mangling of, of the way God's Word is— You can't question him. You cannot challenge him. You cannot say, hey, that's not correct teaching or what you're doing is not here in accord with God's word. He's setting himself above all criticism and basically making it so that if you say anything negative about him or if you tell anybody, hey, that's not what God's word says and what he said was wrong there, you're gossiping, you're being dishonorable, you're not in submission and then the thing that's missing, the real thing that's missing here, is, is that when people sin by not honoring the authorities over them that God has placed in in authority over them, they got they have a, an offended God. And basically he's just saying, you need to obey and then God will bless you. That's it. You just better start submitting. Uh, 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 uh. That's not what the scriptures teach. The way a holy and just God is propitiated and his wrath is propitiated because of our rebellion against his commandments is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross it's repentance and the forgiveness of sins and i'm not hearing about the forgiveness of sins here i'm just hearing this is the law get cracking get doing you better get you better get submitting and if you want to be blessed then you better submit well the problem is is that if you want to be blessed according to the law you have to keep it perfectly Again, I would cite all of the book of Galatians as proof that what I'm saying is correct and that what he's doing is a complete mangling of uh, God's word and a complete shows a complete lack of understanding of what God's law is for in the first place.
6: I know what the result is because there's so much scripture behind it. It's blessing It's destiny. But if you play this kind of game or this kind of game, you're going one place. All hail is going to break loose.
1: So if you don't submit to your authority, all hail is going to break loose, and that includes your pastor. Again, he keeps putting himself in that list. Destiny.
6: But if you play this kind of game or this kind of game, you're going one place. All hail is gonna break loose. Submission? Or you boat. Don't blame anybody else when all hell breaks. is you did it to yourself. What are you gonna choose? Let's pray with
1: just pray with me. Jesus. Yeah, so there you go. There you go. Submission. Okay, you you don't want all hail to break loose in your life, God's gonna jack you up if you don't submit to your pastor. I don't think it's accidental that he included himself in this list with the stories that are coming out of Elk River, Minnesota, from uh, this church and this pastor. People saying we're dealing with a guy who has a cult leadership mentality. Yeah, based upon his view of submission, makes perfect sense why people are saying there's a cult there in Elk River at the crossing. We've got a control freak who is uh, basically arrogated to himself authority that doesn't actually... Is not granted to him in Scripture. He's not fulfilling God's office duties for the office of the pastor, and he's not really correctly understanding what pastoral authority is and what it isn't. And he's basically saying, you need to submit to me or God is going to jack you up and all hail is going to break loose. Man. Like yesterday, I'd love to get your feedback on this. Truly, I'm, I'm soliciting it. If you'd like to email me your feedback, you can do so. My email address... Is talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow. May God richly bless you. And the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Thing you didn't hear anything about in this so-called sermon. Amen.